In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. Really looking forward to this one. It's exciting. So great, uh, a great guest to come back. So uh, I'm really excited. Top work, Paul. Excellent. We are here with the legend himself from around the NFL. It's Mark Sessler. Mark, how are you? I'm doing good. Monday morning in Los Angeles. You know, it was uh, torrential rains all last week. Unusual for Southern California, but the sun is out. It's about 65 degrees. No complaints. Uh, Last time we saw you, Mark, was in London. Are you missing London? I've missed it ever since we left. Like, uh, for me, it's just a place that if life were a little simpler, I could probably just shift right over and live half the year there or, or the entire year. It's a wonderful city. I mean, you know, we had the benefit of going from amazing place to amazing place and meeting like all these great people. I'm sure day-to-day life may not be that way. But for me, I, when I left, I was almost homesick for London. And I'm not just saying that, like, I think most of our group thought like we have to come back and it's a big goal to get back there because for our podcast, we know that a huge chunk really sort of the beating heart of our listenership is overseas. So it's really important to keep, uh, keep going back. And I think that's a huge goal for this off season. We'll see. Is that what you tell your boss? We've got to keep coming back to London. I think they are finally starting to see the same thing because some of them that when we went last time, just the kind of relationship between our show and the people there and just the fact that like the NFL wants to grow, obviously football in London, we're seeing that with, with the growing slate of games every year, the more engagement with, with um, coaches and players going over that this fits right in with what the company says they want to do, what the league says they want to do. So hey, we'll help them out if they'll help us out. All right, great. And uh, a question I've got to ask you, with, uh, with Mike Mayock joining the Raiders, can we see you joining the dark side? No, I mean, I think Mike Mayock, want, you know, the difference between myself and Mike Mayock is that he is an ex-player with decades of tape study and coaching knowledge. And, you know, I'm sort of just someone that they throw on air to, to talk a little bit. So there's quite a vast difference, I think, between... I think if anyone were to hire most people that uh, do this for a living, within about a week they would be found out because there's a lot of knowledge left on the table. So, Mark, stop putting yourself down, mate. We could see you part of a front office very soon. I don't. I mean, I think also it's better to be to stay away from these teams because if they ever crash and burn, then you're get you're ta- you're getting killed in the press. I don't need that either. I just <laughs> stay in the shadows. So, uh, well. Mark, you're a huge Browns fan, so let's start with the Browns. What's your views of the Browns coming into the new season? My view is that uh, I think it was a really fun ride for so many people, including myself, that have suffered through a bunch of terrible autumns. And I, I am optimistic um, that the coaching search, as some suspected, didn't just wind up with two interviews and Adam Gase getting hired because Peyton Manning was in the ear of ownership or that they just turned around with a Green Bay, historically Green Bay oriented front office and hire Mike McCarthy, that they 
really did uh, spread a wide net and I believe came to the conclusion, I think though there were differing opinions inside the building, but came to the conclusion that continuity with Freddie Kitchens and putting his relationship with Baker Mayfield and really overall his coaching acumen and the respect that he has around the league and along with John Dorsey, the staff that they were able to hire, that to me is optimism. Um, I lo- The thing he said, he had a lot of uh, fiery, wonderful quotes, but what I really think is the most important in terms of moving forward is that seven, eight and one, while that was a nice uh, record for a team that's typically gone winless or won two or three or four games um, is a nice start that it kind of reminds me um, on a much lesser level when the Patriots um, played their first Super Bowl against the Rams. And if you read those books about Belichick coming out of that season, that he turned to people inside the organization as a Super Bowl winner and said, our roster sucks. And Cleveland's roster does not suck, but you need to start from scratch, completely memory wipe what happened over the last couple of months and realize that the NFL is always growing. Teams are teams with better draft selections than Cleveland at this point, which is unusual, are going to get better players in the draft. Um, there's going to be competition for free agents. And the Cleveland needs to start from utterly from scratch and get as good as they can be between now and September. There can be no resting on what happened the last couple months on the field. And I don't think they, they're not, they don't seem to be that way, which is that's where the hope comes. Yeah, I yeah. think it's something really important to remember is like you hear a lot of fans arguing Christian Kirksey's name that comes up of very, very well liked within the Browns, the Browns community, but hasn't had a great two years. I know he got injured. He's definitely here next year. But when you're looking at that sort of player and going, right, you've got to walk away from it because something Bill Belichick's been ruthless in is I don't care what you've done for us in the past. What are you going to do for us next season? And that's somewhere that It'll be unusual for Browns fans going, oh, no, this is a really good player. He's been great for us for years. It's, well, that doesn't matter. Is that player going to contribute to winning a Super Bowl next year? And that, I think that will take a lot of Browns fans by surprise when you see moves over the next couple of years that they won't be happy because they've seen someone they really like on hard knocks. Here's the reality. Does it amount to wins? Yeah, I think like you can look at someone like Jamie Collins and you know who was inherited by this new front office and a couple of players where – it's like, yeah, these guys became somewhat fan favorites, especially during a season when you go from last year's 0-16 ultra debacle to a fun, enjoyable hard knocks in the summer, and then it actually panned out. You found your coach during the year. You found your quarterback. Then why would you just keep the entire gang together and roll into next year? And there's still a lot of work to do on this roster. And the one thing I like is that, um, you know, John Dorsey has his critics, but he came in last year, and I thought, like right away, right away made deep cutting changes um, to bring in players that, you know, and he's a good scout that I'll give. The one thing I think about him is that if he's anything, if, if for the GM stuff has a lot of other stuff under the umbrella, he is a really good scout and he loves doing it. And I don't, I think they're going to continue to have to upgrade. And, and there may be, because now the roster isn't a total trash heap to your point, there may be some names that come and go that might surprise people, but that can be a good thing. All right, great. Jack, do you want to start off with some of our listeners' questions? Yeah, so we just threw it out to our listeners to send us in questions. So here we go with the first one. Sean is at Sean3137 asks, what roster additions do the Browns need to make to meet the high expectations of us fans um, that have already established for next year? So we're not too interested. It's a bit early for names in the draft, but any sort of free agents you want or any positions in the draft you think we should be targeting? 
I think the one thing with free agency, I always pause on it just a little bit in terms of names because a lot of these guys, when you create these top 50 lists, 18 of the top 20, because they're so valuable, gets re-signed by their own teams. So the real free agent additions come to me with some of the guys that can pad your secondary, guys whose names don't jump off the page, but they fit what you do on offense and defense. But in terms of positions, I mean, Unless you really are sold on Greg Robinson, and I am not. I thought he was well coached, and, and but his history tells us left tackle is um, important. I, I keep restocking the offensive line in general. I think the interior defensive line needs help. You need an edge rusher. I, I mean, I, for me, I also I know everyone wants to talk wide receiver. If you can be a team that brings in guys like Rashad Perriman and makes something of them, then you're much closer to what a team like the Patriots does, which is find other players that don't fit somewhere else and coach them up. And I think that roster churning happens as much during the season as it does, you know, during, during the off season, when you find these guys that are just not working out, I think linebacker is another situation. We talked about two linebackers that may be on their way out. Um, love Joe Schobert. I think he fits really well. Uh, I, they're going to continue to run the same four, three for the most part. And I think that my one thing with Steve Wilkes, uh, I think Steve Wilkes is going to be a successful coordinator. And I think that the players in Arizona liked him a lot better than, than we would realize on the outside. But there was a lack of flexibility in terms of bringing in scheme and shoving certain players into roles that didn't quite fit them. That needs to stop right now because in Cleveland, for success, you're going to need to use a lot of the players that exist and use them well this season. I mean, for me, like they've got some key positions on offense, obviously, on lockdown. This is a defensive draft, and it's a defensive-oriented uh, offseason of needs for Cleveland as well, I think. Uh, there's some names that were bounced around, like uh, Obi Melifondwu. Um, I was desperate for us to pick him up now. Patriot, Rashad Breland, we came in, and there was a the talk, is anyone giving him $8 million? He signed for less than a million. Those sort of players are just ideal lads. I think there's, if there's one position I'll go out and make a big splash on, just because I think it might be slightly cheaper because there's so much talent in the draft, would be a Trey Flowers. Um, I think he's going to be in the 15, 16 million mark. And I think if you can tie that down, three-year deal, I, I hate spending salary cap because I think it's the worst possible place to go out and in free agency and blow it. You're much better just keep re-signing your own players. And yeah, them second tier, third tier, uh, um, Terrence Mitchell, great addition. But Trey Flowers, if you can get him on a nice deal for three years, why, um, why Baker's yeah. cheap? Why um, Garrett's cheap? And then you just move on from him after three years. I think that would be a wicked addition. I think the two positions where you can find like an edge rusher that you know is going to be dominant and is going, you could pair with Miles Garrett or, or left tackles, you know, tackles in general, you can't necessarily count on these guys showing up in the draft every year. And they're also essentially never available in free agency. So if that opportunity comes up, that's where the money, in my opinion, should be spent. Yeah. Uh, Mark, we're going global with the next question. All right. have, have you got a big fan base in Australia, do you know of? Um, I, we do definitely have some, our show has, has people in Australia that listen. And, um, you know, you kind of can only, for me, I track it off of interaction on Twitter and stuff. And uh, we do have numbers that drill down where people listen. And I don't get into that too much. But Australia <laughs> certainly is a presence in New Zealand. And, like, we've had a couple, um, like, reporters tell us that they listen to the show from, like, war-torn, like, uh, areas outside of Russia and, like, Turkey. So, you know, happy that we're helping them as well well the next question is from perth probably the furthest city away from cleveland yeah um anywhere in the world that is who is the best browns player you've ever seen play 
it's it's hard for me because I'm getting into my fandom, but I I have a top three because I missed some of the Ozzy Newsome best like the best years of Ozzy Newsome and Clay Matthews. I knew they were great, but it was the end of their career for me. It was always Bernie Kosar, Ernest Biner, and on defense Eric Turner, who went much too quickly. Eric Turner was one of the most dominant safeties I've ever seen. He was Bill Belichick's uh, first draft pick and fit a Bill Belichick team to the T. Excellent. Thank you. So, Oyster Kicker NFL um, show have got in touch and they've asked, in which three areas can the NFL improve on? Well, there's that's. Are we talking on field? Um, Answer it however you feel. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you a couple. Um, Number one, I think, like, for all the critique the NFL takes, and I'm not saying this because I work for NFL Network or NFL Media. It is the dominant, most popular sport. So it's more about what can other leagues do to catch up with the NFL. Um, but I would say this, that I think officiating for, in multiple ways, well, it's, it's a human task and there are always going to be issues with it. And people need to probably more accept that than rail against it nonstop. They have to keep working on officiating and making rules more commonly understandable. Like the catch rule used to be like the Warren Commission times three, just a total maze. You had no idea what was going on. They've worked to soften and change some of these rules to make them, I think, more commonly understandable. That's a big one. I think the growth of the game, which we're seeing and they're working on this, but this, it, we are not um, a world now that operates where if you like a sport in America, no one else has heard of it. You guys are the great example of this. Like the growth internationally and figuring out how to make that work and, and um, eventually get a team to London. That's a, That to me is not just some pipe dream. I think it can be done. Um, there may be various ways to make that happen on a tiered level over the course of time but that's a big that's a big issue and i think that's how you grow the game and keep it thriving and and you can overcome ups and downs of popularity in the states and third for me um i'm not a huge fan of the thursday night game i i I know that they like to spread these games all over the calendar i would take a a long look at thursday night football and see if it really makes sense I, i would be down more with like a Friday night football that collides with college, but that would bring you one day closer to the normal schedule. It's, it's just tough to keep something going when players and coaches um, overwhelmingly don't support the product. Yeah. I think just from a broadcast perspective, I've had sort of quite a few mates that have been coming around watching the games and stuff and having NFL network on sort of before the games it's incredible the standard of production where they've got all these guests on there's fun interactive stuff there's lots going on um I've got a question from you from Cleveland in UK so there's a Cleveland actually in the UK uh Graham Bailey he said the Rams and the Patriots beating the Saints and the Chiefs surely shows that systems in the NFL are more important than the players The, the two best rosters both lost Mark, do you agree with that? Um, I, I think that there are certain teams. You can look at a team like the Patriots where organizational continuity, where you run they, – they run a different scheme every week on offense. But they have the same people and the same philosophies and the same methods for picking players. So there's this beeline that runs through the Patriots. I mean, I would argue that the best coach of our lifetime won yesterday – and maybe the best coach, if things play out the way you know people expect, of the next 25 years, one with the Rams. So, and, and, and they beat two great coaches in Andy Reid and Sean Payton. I think most people saw those games as toss-ups. They were impossible to pick. There was no clear favorite. 
Uh, it wasn't like last year when the Jaguars matched with the Patriots. You kind of were rooting for Jacksonville to create a great story, but they, you could see a clear favorite in that game. This, to me, I mean, the way New England played a week ago, uh, is it, I'm not surprised that they won. And, I like, scheming, coaching, um, great quarterback play creates upsets. I don't think that they're, that you, this is – I would never peg the Patriots or the Rams as just a scheme-based team because they're able to flexibly shift week to week with what they do. That's, that's the new scheme. It's, you better be able to change on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. The Patriots, it literally gets to halftime. They throw their playbooks out the window and rewrite them all at halftime and start again. It's uh, how quick it changes. So our next question is something everyone's been discussing today. It's Julie at good Julie ruler is basically the overtime rules. Um, what do you think of them? What would you prefer to replace them with? I think it's easy to, to forget that like when I was growing up, the initial rule was just sudden death which was you have a coin flip and it played out kind of that way with the Patriots game yesterday, where in that case, sudden death was first score one. So if you go for 35, get a nice kickoff return and go 30 something yards and you got a good field goal kicker game over. And this rule adjusts that where outside of a strong touchdown March, both teams are going to get a chance at the ball. Um, I like that the, I mean, it's a 15-minute overtime in the playoffs. That's the distinct difference between the regular season. I mean, it's the result that people are upset with, and I, I understand that. But part of the – if you want to be a Super Bowl team, I would argue Kansas City stopped them. I mean, it, in another scenario, had Kansas City marched down the field, I think a lot less people would be complaining because it would be someone other than the Patriots going to the Super Bowl. I get the exhaustion, but it's just that the overtime rule is better than it used to be. It's not perfect, but I think it's just because you're always going to have a vast amount of people really upset. Are they supposed to just – do? You, the other option is you just play the 15 minutes and see where you are at the end. That's another 15 minutes. That's your other option. What, what I'd like to see is something where, say, you, both teams go from sort of first and goal from the 20-yard line. You get your four downs, yeah. and you can either score a touchdown in that or you kick a field goal um, at the end of it. And then you just keep bouncing back and forth. And whenever – if one scores a touchdown, the other just manages or doesn't score a touchdown, then one wins. Or if one scores a field goal, then the next one gets a touchdown, then the touchdown wins. And just do it as sort of a, you keep going first and goal from the 20 and just make it right. really short offense, red zone, and let's just go for it. Because then you can give both teams a chance. And yeah, you might have a case where the, the first two, three attempts, they both get touchdowns and then you mix it up. But I, I would just power the offense and just stick them all in scoring range and see what happens. I like that it's creative. Uh, the one thing that you're missing that, that, that you would miss as a fan is, and listen, a lot of people didn't want to see this happen, but the way that Tom Brady, an ageless looking Tom Brady, marched the team down the field and had to make, you know, a series of plays, not one or two, to get that score. I think that's what you lose is that sense of the game winning drive, which is so imbued in uh, NFL football lore. Uh, last question from myself. Uh, Lord Adam Muffet, who's a Bucks fan, he's super happy because the Bucks are coming to London. It's been announced. Great. He's asked, "What's your favorite NFL player of all time?" Wow, I'm I'm hoping I'll say Baker Mayfield a decade from now. But it, for me, it's always just been Bernie Kosar because you know, for, up until this, up until four months ago, he was the only successful Browns quarterback 
that really took the Browns anywhere. And I loved him. You know, I think, I don't know how much you guys follow him now. I think that he takes a lot of critique because he played in an era where um, concussions, you didn't talk about them. You just took them and took them week after week. And I think he suffered incredible punishment as a player and was one of the underrated, more tough quarterbacks around. And to me, though, he just was such an aggressive quarterback. And even when he'd be critiqued as an announcer um, on Brown's preseason games, it was because he was always, di you know, basically diagnosing bad Brown's offenses or opposing teams. And you have to be more aggressive and see this and go for this play. And that was always his nature. And those teams were never out of it because of Kozar. And that reminds me of Baker Mayfield a little bit, too. Excellent. And uh, Jack, any more questions for you? No, uh, we'll wrap up there. That's just fantastic. It's really good to have you on. And if anyone hasn't read Mark's um, column, I think it came out was it about three months ago. It was a really long piece about his whole entire Browns fandom. Make sure yeah. you go out and read it. It's a fantastic read. It was really, really enjoyable. Thank you. I think it's, I have it pinned on the top of my Twitter feed because it's utterly impossible to find those uh, stories on NFL.com if they're not on the front page. So. Excellent. And Mark, uh, are we going to meet in Cleveland this year or are we going to meet in London this year? I would put the odds at London because we just okay. don't really travel much unless we were able to get to um, some sort of primetime game. It sounds like the Browns might have a few of those, but London, let's book it. Excellent, Mark. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you. Just tell us, I'm sure everyone's following you, but just in case, where can everyone find you? I'm on Twitter at Mark Sessler, M-A-R-C. S-E-S-S-L-E-R-N-F-L on Twitter and uh, Mark Sessler on Instagram. And our podcast is uh, during the season. Well, let's just start with our offseason because that's what we're moving into. We'll have a lot of week Super Bowl coverage, um, but we have a show that will be on Monday, Wednesday, Friday throughout almost all of the offseason until you get into that June period where we do two shows a week. But we never stop. And we're going to do a Twitter show on Tuesdays or I think it's going to be on Wednesdays as well. But if you just, if you get on the on our Twitter pages, you can find any of that, that business. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, as we finish off, Mark, we're riding into the danger zone. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>